Uh, before we get into our life lesson, I just have a couple of announcements. Uh, first, just to address the fact that we're not gathered physically this morning. Uh, this Christmas season with changing restrictions uh, ha- has been a heavy one. There's, there's no denying it. A heavy one for our staff and uh, for our servant leaders. Uh, and there's a weariness that begins to set in. And I think it's important that instead of just rushing our faces off at Christmas and just, you know, going crazy doing things for the sake of doing, that we take an intentional effort and slow down and embrace the peace of Christ that we so often preach about but rarely experience. And so today our staff and our our high-capacity servant leaders who do a lot to make our Sunday gatherings happen are enjoying the morning at home with their families. Uh, At the same time, um, next Sunday, January 2nd, we will also be doing an online-only gathering. There will be no in-person gathered worship on January 2nd. in, in light of rising case numbers and just our commitment to giving our, our teams uh, some rest, uh, we will be online for that. However, uh, we do fully intend to be back in person for January 7th team night. So if you're a servant leader here at Seoul or if Seoul, Seoul Sanctuary is your home church, we want you to come by January 7th. You're going to have to pre-register. Uh, but for a time of honoring our servant leaders who carry a lot of the weight of our church and also just the opportunity to be together to worship, and to cast a vision for 2022. Uh, And then on January 9th, the Sunday, we also fully intend to be in person with our two gatherings, our 8.30 a.m. gathering and our 10.01 a.m. gathering. All the info for those gatherings as well as registration is online at soulsanctuary.ca. Finally, this is the last Sunday of 2021, so uh, if you do uh, want to give a year-end gift to Soul Sanctuary that shows up on your 2021 uh, tax statement, just ensure that you do that before December 31st. And the easiest way for you to do that is at soulsanctuary.ca slash give. So on this last Sunday of the year, it's the perfect opportunity to look back to the year that was and to look Ahead to the year that's coming. Uh, When we look back, we're able to see the the faithfulness of God in our collective community. We can see what God has done when we take a moment to pause and to reflect. And really, more importantly, going forward, we reorient our hearts to Christ. That we refocus our minds and our hearts and our lives on who Christ is and what he has in store for his church in a new year. You would have received an email this morning if you're on the sole email list that gave you five things from 2021 that are worth celebrating. And I want to walk through them just briefly together. Uh, the first one was is that uh, fall 2021 was our, 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 our historic life group semester for us. We launched 28 fall life groups with 265 unique adults group members. This doesn't include any of our kids or youth. This is just adults in our community who took the risk of relationship and entered into a life group. The second one was that this summer we had our largest kids summer camp with 144 children attending our summer camps, 74% of them coming from outside the Soul Sanctuary church community. Uh, Our intention in our kids summer camps has been to be a witness, to be a light to the community that we find ourselves in. 
The third one is that we gave nearly $75,000 to our missions partners. Uh, that, that would be money that we're giving, never mind the time, effort, and energy of so many people in our community who have ministered to projects like Living Word Temple, who have written their children through World Vision, uh, who have our team that went to Ukraine. Number four, we, re, we relaunched our in-person gatherings, which is kind of a funny th thing to say while I'm speaking to you online. Uh, but in doing that, we maintained an average weekly attendance of about 300 people packing out this room, um, needing a, a second gathering. Uh, we, we baptized eight people, we dedicated six children, and we saw the ordination of Reverend Joanne Hollander. Number five, we launched discipleship groups. This was a new kind of micro-life group that we piloted this last fall. Uh, Mike, our discipleship director, as well as Christy Sanchi, came together to make these groups happen. We launched six women's groups, all of them filled up, and we are excited to launch these intentional discipleship groups for men starting in January. These are just five brief highlights from, a from the year that was. And throughout 2021, we see God's faithfulness in our community. And we are, our hearts are gladdened and encouraged as we move into 2022, knowing that uh, by, by continuing to be faithful, we'll have five new things to celebrate at the end of 2022. Uh, if you didn't get the email with the five things we're celebrating article, you can go to soulsanctuary.ca, click on the community life section, and you'll find the article there. Our passage today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. I read it earlier. The, the letter to the Hebrews is a book near the end of the Old Testament, and in it, the unknown author is speaking to Jewish Christians uh, in the first century. Uh, the, the, the author ha knows that their audience has a really good grasp on what it means to be a Jew, and is now teaching them what it means to be a Christian in light of their religious background, their Jewish religious background. The teaching of the book of Hebrews is firmly rooted in the reality of Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah of Israel. So as we read through the book of Hebrews, it really challenges us as Western readers, as Western Christians, to come to know our own story, the story of our faith, the story, the Christian story, the story of God and his people. So let's read the passage again together. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
This passage is chock full of Jewish imagery. And the author uses words like most holy place and, and great high priest and, and the curtain. To understand these terms, we need to go back into the Christian story, emerging from the Jewish story. And, and, and allow me to suggest that your faith as a Christian will become all the more clarified when you understand your Christian roots. So let's just briefly unpack the story of God and his people. And to do that, we need to start at creation in the book of Genesis. We see in Genesis that God created, that he created the world and that he called it good, but then that he created humanity and called them very good. That, that God created male and female in his image. And that in the garden, humanity had a relationship with God. They walked with God in the garden. And then there was right relationship with God, of course, but there was right relationship between each other, Adam and Eve. And then we also see that, that they had right relationship with themselves, and this is particularly revealed to us when they experience the shame of being naked after having sinned. And there's also this, this right relationship with creation. The garden is a place of tranquility. It's a place of true peace. And like I said, sin ends up distorting the perfect creation of God. That, that sin enters into the equation, this, this pride, this arrogance, this wanting to be like God. And sin then damages humanity's relationship with God. Sin then distorts humanity's relationship with each other. Sin then perverts our relationships with ourselves. And sin then destroys our relationship with creation. But God, being a God of love, did not abandon his people, but rather through the people of Israel and through a series of covenants, brought his people back under his wing, restoring relationship with them so that that could be a blessing to the nations. And then we have, through God's people, the people of Israel, the promised Messiah. Like I said earlier, Emmanuel literally means God with us. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's a name for Jesus. God coming down to earth to live, to suffer, and to die like us. And Jesus Christ was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, and he died but yet he was resurrected. And after his resurrection, he commissions his church and he sends out his people to go establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to be a witness to his goodness, to be a witness to his faithfulness to humanity with the promise that he will come again to set the world to rights. And this is where the book ends in Revelation. A new heaven and a new earth. A vibrant city full of life and vitality, of creativity and curiosity, where work is meaningful and where we live life together with God the way that he intended it. And so when the author of Hebrews says that we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, they are referring back to the Jewish temple system. They're, they're drawing an allusion to this, this place where, where God dwelt in the temple, this little room called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place that only a priest could access. 
And this is where God's presence dwelt. And once a year at that could a priest access. But the author is saying that because of the blood of Jesus, we have access to God. That the curtain, the literal curtain, which hung in the temple to separate the most holy places from the holy place, is now no longer there. But, but the barrier that exists has been removed. And rather, Jesus has been placed in its stead. And, and this is important for us to understand. It really brings the gospel accounts to life. When, upon the, re- or the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, three of the gospel writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about how the curtain in the temple was torn. Well, what, what's the symbolism here? What's going on here? The tearing of the temple means that no longer is God's presence hidden, but rather through Jesus we have access to God. He is now our mediator to God's presence, not a curtain. And understanding this just brings us to the context of the Christian story. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. We can draw near to God because Jesus Christ is our great priest. He is our great mediator in the presence of God. He is the one who has gone before us, who has borne the punishment of our sin, who is, carries the weight of our guilt and our shame. This is the joy of learning the scriptures. That, that without knowing our story, we will struggle to know where we fit in to God's redemptive narrative. And so where does this passage from Hebrews, chock full of Jewish imagery, where does it lead us this morning? The question we ask as, you know, 21st century Westerners is, what is God's word to his people here now? How do we live today? We spent some brief time this morning looking back at some of the exciting things that were. But let's look ahead to some of the exciting things that can be because of Jesus. The passage in Hebrews calls us to four things. Four things that if we follow through with will leave a lasting impression on the physical and spiritual children of the soul sanctuary community. Four things that serve as precursors to the establishment of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in accordance with the commission that Jesus has given his disciples and you and I as we follow in their path. First, the author of Hebrews draws on the topic of devotion when they write, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance That faith brings. In the name of individual freedom, our society tells us that all truth is relative. That that nothing is certain and that to be sure of anything is to be closed-minded and ignorant. Yet the author of Hebrews is identifying a reality that Christians for years had known, have known, sorry. The idea is that coming to God with a humble spirit and a sincere heart, and as we draw close to him, we find rest in him. Rest is best understood as the people of God, in the presence of God, in the place of God. 
There's this togetherness that comes together as we, the people of God, find God's presence. We draw near to him. We cleave to him and we find rest. And then we rest in the confidence that comes by knowing him and and the confidence that comes from being known by him. This is a humble posture where, where we don't say we got it all together and we kind of have this intellectual assent that, yeah, like, yes, I, I, I have all the right answers. But rather, this posture before God fills us with a certainty that comes by faith. It's a certainty in God's goodness. It's a certainty in God's provision. And in a world of uncertainty, Hebrews tells us that faith brings assurance. It's not reason that brings assurance. It's not facts that bring that assurance. It's faith. It's a simple belief that God is who he said he is in his word. And that his love is enough. And that his grace is sufficient for you and for me. It brings us assurance. You know, the assurance we find in Christ isn't arrogant. It isn't proud but it's uniquely marked by the humility of Jesus. It's a peace that transcends all understanding. It's hope in dark times. It's truly and simply, in the most pure form of the word, love. So let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings. Secondly, the author says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What does it mean to hold unswervingly to our Christian hope? What does it mean to place our trust in the God who is faithful to fulfill his promises? And whether they know it or not, every single person on the face of this earth has their hope fixed in something. Uh, to hold unswervingly to our hope it doesn't mean to refrain from doubting or to refrain from asking questions about our hope in Christ, but rather what it means is to refrain from putting our hope into anything other than Christ. When you swerve, you go from one lane to the other. And the author says, no, hold unswervingly, stay in the lane that is the hope of Jesus Christ. We don't put our hope in anything other than Christ. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? Our staff team, we meet for about once an hour, once a week for an hour. And we have what's come, uh, become affectionately known as book club. We, we take a book of, of Christian discipleship or theology or leadership, and we, we break it down together part by part. And we have conversation about both theory and then what, this, what, what we're learning looks like in practice. And we wrestle through it together. The book that we're currently working through is a small volume published last year by, or published this year by pastor and theologian Tim Keller. It's called How to Reach the West Again. And in it, Keller asks this question, what is it going to take for the Christian church to reach people for Jesus in a society which has largely rejected both the message of Christ and the importance and necessity of the church? (laughs) It's a good book for a church staff to read. Keller keenly observes that in order for us to make a lasting difference in our society, we must refuse to buy into the polarization of our society. 
that we must refuse to place our hope in anything other than the transformative power of Jesus Christ. It's not hard for you or I to see how our society is ideologically divided, is it? You know, our beliefs concerning politics and race and sexuality and economics and COVID are just a few of the things that divide us. And in the world of social media, we substitute grace-filled, loving conversations around a dinner table with widespread uh, condemning posts on a network of anybody who disagrees with us. And so being a Christian then, with your, homely f- uh, w- with your hope firmly fixed on Christ, necessitates that you refuse to align yourself with the polarized and often politicized binaries that are presented to us by our society. And, and while refusing to align yourself with either the left or the right, the left is going to say that you're too conservative, and the right is going to say that you're too compromising, but in reality, you'll just be quite Christian. To hold unswervingly to the hope that we have in Christ is to not be caught up by the ideas of this age that, that sink in deep and distract us from what Christ has for us and what Christ has called us to. But rather, we need to root ourselves in Christian thinking, in worship, in discipleship, in following in the way of Jesus. I think we have a really unique opportunity as Christians to be an example of civility to a society who only knows division. The the Christian practices of humility, of patience, of tolerance, and of self-control demonstrate to a world what has happened inside because of Jesus. The third point the author makes is action-based. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Adherence to our hope in Christ makes a real and lasting change in our world. Christians, they're not apolitical. Christians are political, yet they know that no politician will bring about God's kingdom. Christians are not unopinionated. Christians uh, hold opinions, but they're willing to change them when confronted with the truth of Scripture. Christians aren't passive participants in a changing world. Actually, for too long, Christians have been passive participants in a changing world. And rather, Christians are to be active participants who recognize that their participation in the world must be formed by the teachings of Jesus and by the life of Jesus more than they are formed by the coming and going tides of our age. There's an old saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But to be a Christian is to truly be so heavenly minded that you are of the utmost earthly good. Because you then carry the message of Jesus to the corners of the earth. And as the church, we must continually remind ourselves and each other, let's spur one another on to good works, we must come to remind ourselves and each other that the proclamation of this new kingdom comes by living out the reality of this new kingdom. It's the things like generosity, 
that proclaims the reality of God's kingdom. It's the things like eating together and eating with a stranger that goes about proclaiming the new realities of God's kingdom. It's about eating with people who aren't like you. It's about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a proclamation of the new kingdom. This is life in the way of Jesus. This is what God intended for us at creation. So let's spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let's refuse to settle uh, for Christian mediocrity in one way or another, and let's live sacrificially in our care for the other. Let's live by the moral standard that we proclaim. Let's refuse to give ourselves to foolish or slanderous talk. Let's live by the sexual ethic uh, that, that we proclaim. Let's have sexual integrity. Let, let's uh, uh, live holy and pure lives before God. And let's confess our sins to one another when we fall short in order to be forgiven and restored. Let's consider the legacy that we leave by giving our time, our treasures, our talents, our energies to God's kingdom. Paul writes uh, to the Corinthians, he says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. As believers, our legacy should be one of incredible generosity, of giving our time, our money, our energy away, knowing that it is God who has given it to us. We're promised by God that he will supply all our needs, that he will grant all our desires according to his will. And truly, our legacy is bolstered when we live unhindered by our selfish ambition, hoarding earthly treasures for ourselves. James says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so may we then choose a legacy of generosity, but more importantly, a legacy of distinctly Christian participation in this world. Fourth and finally, the author of Hebrews writes, let's not give up meeting together as some have done. All right, here we go. Let's go there this morning. Let's talk about the one passage that everybody quotes in the midst of Christ or in the midst of Christian churches going online in a lockdown. Okay, cool. Here we go. The corporate gathering of believers. The corporate coming together, all of us in the same place to worship together is an incredibly important part of Christian history and current Christian practice. Allow me to quote from you or quote to you from the 2nd century. This is about 155 of the common era. This is like 120 years after Jesus. And a man that we know as Justin Martyr wrote an early apologetic to the Roman emperor of the Christian faith. He tackled popular Roman criticisms of Christianity and of Christians and he spoke eloquently. He spoke the language of the day. He engaged with the deepest of deep philosophical arguments when outlining why Christianity made sense. And then he also spoke deeply about Christian practice. And so concerning meeting together as the church, 
in 155 of the Common Era, Justin Martyr said this, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time allows. Then, when the reader has finished, the minister verbally instructs and exhorts the congregation to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray. And when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the minister then offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability, and the people assent, saying, Amen. And there is a distribution and reception by each person. And to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. And then they who do well and are willing give what each thinks fit, which, which give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is then deposited with the minister who takes care of the orphans and widows and those strangers surgeoning among us. Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world and the day on which Jesus Christ, our Savior, rose from the dead. What did you get from that? This is what I got. I got that 1,900 years ago, 120 years after Christ's birth or, or after Christ's death, Christians did exactly what Christians do today. They come together. They read from the scriptures. They sing. They pray. They give their money. They take communion. They distribute communion to those who couldn't be here. They they. This, this is Christian practice. This has been Christian practice for 2,000 years. And in 2,000 years, the church has continued to gather to worship on Sundays in the face of war, of calamity, of disaster, of persecution. But just like Jesus said, the gates of hell will not overcome his church. One brief glimpse into history shows us th the unreal perseverance of the Christian church. But there is the temporal concern and the immediate impact that gathering restrictions have on us as Christians in our current time and place. But what the author of Hebrews knows it is the same thing that Justin Martyr knew, and it's what Christians have known for years. It's that, yes, being able to come together in the room that I am right now is important. But, but what underlies our corporate gatherings? That's spiritual friendship. It's deep, genuine relationship with other people. That is the core of Christian community. You could show up at Soul Sanctuary Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for weeks, and you could worship together, worship corporately with the community. But if genuine relationships, spiritual friendships, don't start to emerge, then you're going to walk into a place of 300 people and feel lonely. You'll stop attending on Sundays. Genuine, lasting relationships are the bedrock of gathered Christian worship. 
So let's not give up meeting together. Let's not harden our hearts towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us open our homes. Let us open our tables and let us open our hearts. Let's come to to church on Sundays with great expectation that the creator of the universe is going to speak to us, his gathered people, through his word. Let us commit ourselves to spiritual friendship, to the growing of deep and meaningful relationships, relationships which make us uncomfortable and uneasy because the people that we invite aren't like us. I don't think it's a coincidence at all that we had our largest life group registration in the recorded history of our church last semester. I also don't think that it's a coincidence that coincidence that 100% of the spots in our discipleship groups filled up. I, I have heard multiple stories of different life groups this semester. Stories of people who are working through the real of it together. I, I, I've heard stories of, of people finding freedom, uh, of leaders coming alongside participants and helping them uh, re-understand the grace of God, not as something that they need to earn, but as something they need to accept. I've heard stories of conflict, and I actually celebrate those stories of conflict because if we get to the point where we can verbally disagree with each other, and even if we need mediation to come in and to work it out together, it means that we're demonstrating a commitment to relationship. We run so far so fast at the first glimpse of hardship in relationship. We are a fickle people But when I see life groups struggling and doing their best to work out what it means to follow Jesus with people who they don't agree with, this is church. So sanctuary. As we move into 2022, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, let us hold unswervingly to that hope that we profess in Jesus Christ. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together and building deep spiritual friendships. And like I said, by doing this, we'll have five more things to celebrate in December of 2022. Finally, as we close today, a reminder that if you're looking to give a year-end gift to soul, that needs to be in by December 31st for it to show up on your 2021 tax statement. Let's pray. God of new beginnings, you wipe away our tears and you call us to care for one another. So give us eyes to see your gifts, hearts to embrace your creation, and hands to serve you every day of our lives. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In times of old, the one giving the blessing would extend hands, and those receiving it would do likewise. Right where you are in this moment, no matter how awkward it may feel, I'm going to encourage you to stand with me. I see you. I see you. Stand with me and extend hands if you would like a blessing. Soul Sanctuary, as you go, Go with a renewed passion for the love of God. Go in humility, resting in the assurance that comes by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Go confidently, holding unswervingly to your only hope, the hope that you have in Jesus, remembering that our God is a covenant keeper. Go in action, pushing those around you to love and to greatness as we give of ourselves for the sake of the other. And go in relationship. Prioritize spiritual friendship and come to church on Sundays. So sanctuary, be blessed. And may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ bring you joy as we celebrate this new year.